I want to start with prayer. I heard from Tanya that two Oasis students were in an accident on their way, probably, to Oasis tonight or to get food. Where is Tanya? Is she in here? Um, Taylor and uh, Riley. So I'm going to pray for our topic tonight, but I also want to pray for these two girls. It was not serious, but they were shaken up a little bit. So let's pray real quick. Father, um, I thank you for... uh, I thank you for Oasis and that we can gather here like this and worship you. Um, God, we want to make much of you tonight. We believe that you're real and you're big and you're mighty and strong and powerful and you're loving and kind and gracious and merciful and you love us. You love us so much. God, I love the line in that song that says, we don't have time to maintain these regrets and we all have them. Even the freshmen in here who maybe haven't, I don't know, um, been in high school all that long yet, we have regrets. And God, um, we have stuff that makes us feel ashamed or weighs us down or fills us with guilt. And um, God, with you, we just don't have time for those things. When we think about how much you love us and how you wash away sin and how you can forgive and cleanse and renew. And so God, thank you for loving us that much. Um, God, tonight, I really, right now, I want to pray for Taylor and Riley. Um, God, I, I've heard that they're okay. Um, but God, any high school student that gets in any accident is uh, shaken. And so God, I pray that you would calm their nerves. I pray that you'd give them a peace. I pray that their parents wouldn't be so mad about the car. But God, um, would you cover them with your spirit and just comfort them? God, I continue to pray for Cody Jones. Again, just thinking of him last week in a sort of a bicycle accident and pray for his recovery too. And God, there's probably lots of other hurting people that I don't know about. Um, God, tonight, would you guide this discussion, this topic, this talk? God, um, we want to honor you in this and say thank you for your word and how it teaches us. So, um, God, would you be glorified? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this is week six in our Hot Topic series, one week left next week. And uh, so if you're new, we're trying to shine some light on difficult and hard questions and topics. And these are all questions that you all yourself submitted about six or seven weeks ago. And so you... Um, you told us what we were going to teach on in this series. And so we took the top categories of, uh, of questions. And um, so tonight, um, a lot of you maybe were aware of this. Tonight we're talking about the topic of homosexuality. Dun, dun, dun. Um, sort of the topic of our day. Um, certainly in the world, certainly I would say for the past decade, if not the past two decades and beyond that. Um, but also for the church. This is a really big issue. Now, I want to say this was not the most asked question by you all. I took the top categories, and the number one question, um, the top category was, was stuff about why do I not feel close to God? Why does God still speak? And if so, why don't I hear him? And that question even only got 10. There was like 10, 10 questions submitted in that category. There was four in this. I sort of thought this would be the biggest one. Maybe uh, you sort of thought, I know what I want to know about this topic, or I don't want to hear about it in Oasis. Um, but there was four questions. Obviously, as I said, this is a very controversial topic. Um, as I get into this, I'll sort of share some caveats. You will have a varying degree of opinions on this topic within this room. Here's the questions that were submitted by a few of you, uh, a few of you students. These will be on the screen, too. Um, the first one just simply asked, why does homosexuality exist? Why does homosexuality exist? The second one says this, this person wrote, why do Christians let down gay people? Why do Christians let down gay people? It's, it's a good question. Um, this person wrote, why is homosexuality a huge issue in the Bible? 
And then this last verse in a row, this was sort of different, but fit into the category. Um, essentially, he puts a title on it, but says, I'm, I'm not attracted to either gender. Um, and someone told me I'm going to hell. Why? Like, wow, someone really told you that. That's wild. So those were the four. I want to pose the question tonight as this, how should I understand homosexuality as a Christian? So obviously we're just talking about the topic, but that's how I'm posing it. Um, let me just say, for many of us in here, that topic, this question, is really how you will uh, like handle this tonight. You're thinking about how should I understand this topic. Um, but for some of you in here, I just want to make this um, loud and clear. This is very real. You have had homosexual feelings at some point, um, or if you, did, if you probably still do. Maybe you've talked about it with people. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you feel like, I'm, conf- I'm not sure why I'm going through this. Maybe this was more something you wrestled with f- four or five years ago and you worked through it. It was same-sex attraction. Um, but here's, this is very, very real for some of you. And I will get into that. And this is a very, very personal topic. What we're seeking is this. We're seeking God's best for all of us. What is God's best for us just in life? Jesus says in John 10, he said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. I want to offer you life to the fullest. And so Jesus did not come, as many of us maybe believe, to give us this like harsh list of rules that we have to obey in order to find God. It is, it is God's revelation to us of how life works best. And he wants us to have a good and a full life. But we're seeking what God wants, what God's best is for us. And so that's, that's I trust tonight, I hope you know that God is 100% good. That he's, he's good. He's absolutely good. There is nothing bad or evil in God. And he's fully good. And so I hope that's clear. I want to state from the beginning as I already said, that this is a very personal issue, and it's personal, and we need to keep it personal, which means it's involving persons, like real, actual people who are really struggling, at least most of the time, with this topic. And so we have to deal with this topic, I think, with great humility, with much respect, with gentleness. I'm trying to tackle this with maturity, I know far too often gays are mocked and ridiculed and hated and bullied and called names. And um, that happens with everyone. It seems guys more than others just throw that term around very loosely. And um, I know that's maybe lessening. Um, I don't want any of that. Um, we cannot treat this merely as some academic or sociocultural phenomenon that's sort of happened in our day that's divorced from real life flesh and blood human beings. So that's huge. To start with, here's the perception, right? We all know this. The perception, whether it's valid or not, is that Christians hate gays, which is why it's really important for us to talk about this at church, at Oasis. Many of you, how many of you in here, in fact, I'm sure nobody would not raise their hand. How many of you in here have heard of Westboro Baptist Church? Maybe you haven't. Most people have. I know last year, two years ago, I was having lunch with a guy who was new to Oasis, I mentioned that my dad at the time was a pastor in Kansas, and he suddenly got really nervous because Westboro Baptist Church is in Kansas, and just the fact that there is a person who's a pastor who lives in Kansas, he was like, I may be done with this conversation right now just because I'm related to the guy. Westboro Baptist Church, I don't know when this was, 15 years ago, they had a website called God Hates Fags. They, you've heard of them. They've been at Millard South. They've been here in town absolutely have done damage, and they definitely are not living out correct 
Christian belief and practice. I hope most of you knew that. Despite the fact that they're a Baptist church, they're not representing Baptist churches very well at all. I would go so far, and this sounds harsh, and most of us don't know this label sounds really bad. I might even label them a cult. And I say that, um, that, again, that may sound harsh. Most of the time, a cult is really a group that, for the most part, adopts most of the beliefs or practices of a major world religion. But in a few places, they twist it, and they twist it really drastically. I think it's even just in one spot, but I, I think that's sort of the broad definition of a cult. If I remember learning that a couple years ago at OGN, um, or Engage, for those of you that were there. But so, I, it's, they are not um, living out correct Christian belief and practice. But that's the perception, right? And of course, some so-called Christians do hate, hate gays. We want to approach this, this issue biblically and graciously and uh, with much respect. So, as we frame the question, I want to talk to you sort of like this. I want to frame the question um, through the lens of grace and truth. And the reason I want to do this is because Jesus, it says in John 1, was full of grace and truth. That Jesus, when he lived and interacted and had relationships with people, um, he didn't try to balance grace and truth. He wasn't 50% truth and 50% grace. He was all grace and all truth. Um, And he really embodied this in all of his relationships. And so in John 8, for example, if you know this story, the Pharisees um, bring this woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery and um, sort of say, hey, we caught her in the act of adultery, Jesus the law, the old Jew, like Jewish law, the Old Testament says to stone her. That's what the law says. Jesus, what are you saying? They're trying to trap him. And you remember this, right? Jesus says, first of all, he says, any of you who is without sin, cast the first stone at her. And then they all sort of leave, and I think this might be on the screens, but he says to the woman, basically, where did they, they all go? Did they all leave? You know, is no one here to condemn you? And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But the next line, he says, go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. He doesn't just let her off the hook. He says, go and leave your life of sin. So he was full of grace and truth. And when it comes to the topic of homosexuality, um, we want to be like Jesus in the sense that he was full of grace and truth. And I'm sure I won't get it 100% right tonight. I have a lot of caveats to this talk, and I hope you understand why. I know that some of you here tonight will be waiting for me to say certain things, maybe, or not say certain things, or you'll be happy or not happy based on whether I say certain things or don't say certain things, or perhaps if I say certain things a certain way or not in a certain way, and um, to the degree we can, I want you to push back at all of that. If you end up agreeing with something I say, please be gentle and humble about that. Because there may be some people here tonight that find that painful and very difficult. And if I say some things that you end up disagreeing with me on, which may be, please be gentle and humble about that as well. We really, truly want Oasis to be a place where um, you can come, believers and non-believers, if you're not sure about this Jesus thing or you're just sort of checking things out. Um, we totally welcome you, but we want to be a place where we love each other. I really want our sort of love for each other to increase. It's very, very hard when there's 19 different high schools represented and you sort of have your friend group or not, but you know the people that just go to Gretna, but you don't know anybody else for the most part. Um, We may not completely agree on this, and I think that's okay, and I hope you don't decide I'm never coming back to Oasis or something because of something I say tonight. We don't have to completely agree in order to get along and... um, and worship together and be a part of this. One more comment, 
As you know, this, this topic is very complex, and I am not, um, I'm not an expert on this. I have a first cousin who is gay. In fact, he got married this summer to a guy. And uh, so they're like, you know, but I don't know the ins and outs of this issue even through him. So even for me personally, I'm just beginning to understand this complexity, especially in personal and individual situations. Many of you know a lot more homosexuals or gays at school. They would call themselves that. You know many more than I do. So again, I want to approach this topic with humility. This talk is by no means the last word on the topic. It's more like the first word on an ongoing conversation, right? So, sorry for all of that. The question is, how can we be full of grace and truth in relation to homosexuality? And I want to start with this. The first thing I want to talk about is our source as Christians, which is the authority of Scripture. And um, we always want to be clear that as Christians, we derive our beliefs and our behaviors from Scripture. That Scripture sort of trumps what we think or believe, that it is our source. It's what we're trying to f- reflect. It's, what, it's where we get what we believe, and it's where we get why we believe what we believe. Correct interpretation is absolutely key. There's gobs of people that point to verses in the Bible and say, say two radically different things, or they would say one thing, and another person might say something else. And so correct interpretation is key. I think there, there was a meaning that the biblical authors had when they wrote certain things, and we need to seek that out. And maybe we don't always get it right, and I will say to you that there are gray areas in the Bible, but by and large, we cannot, we cannot come to the Bible and saying, well, this is, there are things in the Bible that was mostly cultural, and so now we're dealing with this now, and so we're going to sort of just ignore anything in the Bible. Um, that's not how we're going to approach it. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, um, or this will be on the screens, the verse concerning the authority of Scripture, or at least the, the primary verse, is Second uh, Timothy 3. 16 and 17, and I didn't bookmark these, but I'm going to read this. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of Scripture is those four things. We would not question teaching and training. We all know that. You go to church, the pastor, hopefully, if you come here, certainly, but if you go to some other church, hopefully they teach from the Bible. And teaching and training in righteousness absolutely makes sense. Did you realize that the Bible, one of the purposes of the Bible, is to rebuke us and to correct us? And very, very often, um, we go, no, 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 I just, you will say this tonight. Some of you will go to your groups and you'll go, I just don't believe, or I just believe, fill in the blank. Where are you basing your beliefs off of? You believe that? Why? You don't believe that? Why not? But what does the Bible say? And so I'd say this comes first, and this is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. This is talking about the Old Testament scriptures, but we also know now that the writings of the apostles and Paul and some other writers are seen as scripture too. In fact, one point in one of uh, Peter's letters, he calls Paul's writings scripture but they can rebuke us. It's like, and even, I've said this before, if you have a God that could never rebuke you, if you have a friend that you would never allow to disagree with you or, or go against you or question you in anything, that's not really a real friend. They're not a real person. You sort of have a straw man, is what they call it. But if, if your God can't contradict you, so there's times where I get off in what I believe and what I do, and the Bible needs to straighten me out. So again, we believe what we do about homosexuality based on what we see taught in Scripture. 
Now, the term homosexuality needs some unpacking, and I'm going to get there in just a few seconds. But here's the thing. The Bible really only mentions homosexuality in six different passages. It's mentioned in the Old Testament books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and the New Testament books of Romans and 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. And uh, I just want to say with clarity that every place the practice of homosexuality is brought up, it's considered a sin against a holy God. And it's contrary to how God created us. It's not what he desires for us. It is never, it is never presented in a positive light. But now understand that me just saying that right there does not automatically make this issue crystal clear and easy. Like many people maybe believe that it does. But that's not, that's not all there is to it, although that's important. It's simply not the case. Homosexuality, here's the thing, as a term, needs to be unpacked a little bit. If you know a friend or someone that would say that they're gay or that they're homosexual, um, it could mean that they struggle with same-sex attraction. It could mean that they have a homosexual orientation or that they have a gay identity. Those three terms are what one author I looked into, Mark Yarhouse, presents in his book on homosexuality as sort of three tiers. And maybe I'm not going to get into all that and it would get confusing. It could also mean... Uh, homosexual like behavior, like sexual actions, activity. Sometimes you guys, I think, certainly the Bible includes maybe not people that would consider like in our century that would say, I have a, I have a gay orientation. It could be referring to straight people who it's just through sexual perversion. They are engaging in homosexual behaviors sort of as a straight person, but due to perversion. So there's a lot sort of packed into that, and we need to understand that and all brings some clarity to that. Here's two things I want to say. First of all is this, homosexuality is one of many sins. And I know that you're aware of that, but so when I say that, I go, you guys, I have sin issues. I have like habitual sin issues that, that you, you don't know about. And you all do too. Like you have your own thing. And um, I think that's important to state. We need to be careful that we don't treat homosexuality like it's worse than all other sins. Um, I do want to read a couple of these passages. First of all, I'm in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. And um, this is one of Paul's letters. He writes this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. But now look at everything that he includes in this list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, guilty. I mean, we don't like worship golden calves anymore, but... We worship all kinds of stuff other than God, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul wraps up, though, and says, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Um, it's very, very common for this passage to be preached. And yes, homosexuality is, is in there. Greed is in there. Who of us has not been greedy before? Um, slanderers. Who of us has not like badmouthed someone before? Or like I said, um, been guilty of idolatry. Now I have a few more things to say on this. One more passage. Check this out. Romans chapter 1. This is a very common passage. Romans chapter 1 verses um, 26 and 27. It says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. After this, and the rest of chapter 1, get this, 21 other sins are mentioned. And then this is how chapter 2 begins. You, therefore, Paul's writing to Christians in Rome, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So God's judgment based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show, show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Have you ever noticed that verse before? I love that last phrase. You know what leads people to repent and to come to find God? It's typically not God's anger and wrath and judgment, although that's real, or it will be someday. It's, God, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So it's, a, it's important to remember that all sin is equally wrong in God's eyes because all sin separates us from him. And along with that, all sin can be forgiven. But don't misunderstand me. Okay, so here's the question. The question is, Brad, are some sins greater than other sins? Well, yes and no, right? Yes and no. Um, like I just said, no, in the sense that before God, all sin is um, rebellion against God, all sin misses the mark, all sin goes against God's good will and good plan for our lives. Different sins have different consequences, though. So think about lying and murder, right? Both are sin. In fact, both are in the Ten Commandments. The consequences are a little different, though, right? Kill somebody or you lie. So is, is one sin greater? I would, I would go ahead and say murder is a greater sin. You go, how can you say that? I, th- I thought all sin was equal. It is yes and no. I mean, the answer is yes and no. By, before God, both are sinful. Both miss the mark. Both are not God's standard for us. And yet, um, consequences play into things. But that's number one. Homosexuality is one of many sins. Keep that in mind. Secondly, we have to recognize, I think, the difference between temptation and sin. Being tempted to lie is different than actually, actually lying. Check this out. Hebrews 4, chapter 15. This will be on the screens. For we do not have a high priest, the verse before says Jesus, this is referring to Jesus, the Son of God, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. That Jesus felt the full brunt of temptation. In fact, I would almost say this had to have been more excruciating and more difficult. Did you realize that Jesus was tempted before? He was tempted. He'd never sinned, but he was tempted. Now, for you and I, what's the greatest way to get, what's the easiest way to get rid of temptation? Just to give in, right? <laughs> like, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to sin. So I think at times we don't feel the full brunt of temptation. Sometimes we do if we really fight our sin hard. But Jesus absolutely did. He was tempted just as we are. He can relate to us. So when it comes to homosexuality or certainly same-sex attraction, Someone isn't sinning just because they have the temptation. As soon as they give in in, to that temptation, though, which can be through action or through thought, through like lust, you know, and stuff, that's when it becomes sinful. So, like sexual sin, you all know this, right? Can be not just, it's not just sexual acts, it's not just behavior. It can be mental too, right? Jesus, Matthew 5, 
says it's not just you lusting, or it's not just you actually committing adultery. Anyone who looks at a woman or thinks about a man lustfully has already committed adultery with him. But that's not temptation. Temptation is I, uh, I, I sort of want to keep staring at that girl, and I'm, oh, I'm tempted to lust after her or whatever. But you don't quite go there. It is not, let me say this again, it is not sinful to be tempted by same-sex attraction. Until a person acts on that temptation. So we should never look down on someone for having that temptation. That may be sort of a new thing to wrestle with for some of you. And I'll get into that maybe a tiny bit more. I'm running out of time. Now, I'm not getting into a gray area. A lot of you may have friends that go, they have not acted out in a sexual, um, in sexual actions with somebody else, but they would proudly say they are gay. And I think that is an area where if they're disagreeing with um, what I would say the Bible clearly teaches about this topic, that is, that is sort of sinful. I also know plenty of people. I know someone, a friend of mine, would say, I'm, I feel like I'm wired this way. I don't like this. I've asked God to take away this attraction to other men, and he hasn't. I don't feel like this was a choice, but he is, he is pushing against it. He agrees with the historical biblical teaching on this. He agrees that this is not God's best um, for him, and so he's, he's not acting on it. And I have three books. I mean, some of these guys, there have been books written. Two of these guys are pastors who absolutely would say, I mean, one guy calls himself a gay Christian. Now, you may struggle with that term. I don't necessarily agree with that, but he would say he has same-sex attraction. They are living celibate lives of purity. You guys, if you're, if you're heterosexual, you may be tempted to, again, if you had your way, you might sleep with a lot of different people, or you might do a lot of different sexual things. Why don't you? Because you're restraining yourself. There's more to us as people than our sexuality. I have to skip over some things I have in my notes. Is it a choice or are people born this way? I don't have time necessarily to go into that. I very well think people could be born with it, and I don't think we should be shocked by that or say that that suddenly means that it's not sinful in God's eyes. You want to throw Psalm 51.5 on the screen real quick, Chris? That in the Psalms, I think this is David, said, surely I was sinful from birth. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So we're sinful from the time we, like, even conception. We come out of the womb sort of like, again, we're toddlers, but no one taught my three-year-old to throw temper tantrums and to start being selfish and angry. You just, you just, that's automatic. Sin is just part of us as a result of the fall. And that's that. I, I, I can't go into that a ton. As I sort of wrap up, um, Here's one, a couple more things. As Christians, how should we react to people that think homosexuality isn't a sin and who aren't Christians? This is huge. I just want to read this. I think this is a phenomenal verse. Paul writes this. He's writing to the Corinthians. He says, I have written to you in my previous, in my letter. So he wrote a letter before this letter and we lost that letter. But he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I've I've written to you not to associate with sexually immoral people. And they misunderstood that. And he's clarifying and he says, not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. He's saying, I wasn't talking about non-Christians. He goes on to say, now I'm writing to you, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, who calls himself a Christian, and who's sexually immoral, or all these other things. Verse 12, what business of mine is it to judge those outside the church? But he says, are you not to judge those inside? So he's saying, look, if you have friends that are non-Christians don't even bring this up. Like, it's just not helpful to them. They're not believers. They don't need to feel judged by us. 
It's almost, I mean, I think we, we tend to, as Christians, judge those outside the church and, and then, um, I guess, sort of not judge those within the church that claim to be Christians and aren't living um, according, to that, according to what Christians believe at all. So sort of make sure you get that right. I think our general response should be love. Here's my final application, six things. If you're talking to someone who openly practices homosexuality and they've felt judged by Christians or they're passionate about telling other people that it's okay, and maybe you believe that, I really want you to wrestle with this and wrestle what the Bible teaches on it. I'd say this, six things. You could apologize on behalf of the church if they've been hurt. That our general demeanor toward anybody who's not a believer who's sort of championing this, is we should just love them. We should make, be friends with them. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Number two, don't be argumentative. It just won't get you anywhere. It won't. Um, treat them with love, dignity, and respect. Number four, do not think it's a simple matter of change, because it's not. There have been a small percentage of people who have said, I feel like I'm gay, and have fully said that, and then they have changed, and they've gone on to get married and have kids. I know guys like that. There was a guy eight years ago in ministry when I was doing tribe, came to me on a Wednesday night, said, hey, I'm gay. We walked him through. I mean, it was like years and years. He's married now. He has a kid. There's a small percentage, but that is not usually the norm. And don't think it's a simple matter of change and don't try to oversimplify it. Number five, you don't have to compromise on what the Bible says. Now, when I say that, I don't mean you go beat people over the head again with what the Bible says. I'm saying that for you and in your heart, you do not have to compromise on what the Bible says. It's our source. It is our authority. If you're a Christian, you need to come to terms with what you believe. And if you're not a Christian, like, why do you believe what you believe? Just because you feel that way? Well, why, where did that come from? We believe a lot of weird, weird wrong stuff. Do we need a source for what is true and truth and what isn't. And then finally, seek to build relationships with them. I seek to build relationships with them. Um, my cousin who's gay, that has been a difficult process for our family and our extended family because he chose to get married. Some people didn't go to the wedding. Some people did. I think you can, you can love and accept someone and, and yet not um, sort of not celebrate it with them necessarily or not say, you know, not say, I believe your lifestyle is okay, but we, I don't think we need, to, we need to tell them what we believe all the time. I think especially they're non-Christians, it's what Paul just says here, it's not our place to judge those outside the church. He goes, those in the church, that's sort of a different story. I did not tackle tonight, say some of you here tonight, you wrestle with this. Or you have a sibling who does, who struggles with same-sex attraction please come talk to me. I know I have a great friend here at Brookside that's in that boat who would love, if you're confused or don't know what to do or don't, um, your small group leader could help you. I would just love to talk to you, but I could also connect you to this individual and that could be of help to you as well. And one night, you guys, it is very hard to do like a flyover of this topic, but there's some stuff to chew on. Um, Let me pray real quick and we'll get out of here. Father, um, Grace and truth, you, Jesus, you embodied that so well that you came bring, you hung out with sinners all the time, Jesus, and yet you, um, you hung on, you never fell into sin, you've been tempted as, in every way as we are, and yet you're without sin. God, help us to, um, man, to, to have great relationships with people we know who are gay, who are maybe proudly gay, 
And God, may they even know that we're Christians. And may we stand on that truth. Um, but may we love them so, 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 so well. But God, also help us to not waver on truth. I pray that we wouldn't be wishy-washy on this topic. Um, God, the Bible has much to say on this topic. The Bible has much to say on marriage and what marriage is. And God, I pray that we would see that this is not an old, outdated book, and those things were just cultural. God, you have desires for us. You want a really, really great life for us. And I pray that we would experience that for ourselves and wade through um, this topic with that in mind. So God, may we trust you, and may we seek you, and may we know that your love for us um, is really great. Thank you. Um, Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're new, we go to small groups now, and so we're, hopefully you discuss this, bring up questions you have, but if you don't know where you're going or you're brand new and um, don't have a friend that uh, is around you, come talk to me. I'll make sure we put you in a group. And thanks. We'll wrap this up next week. And put on the weather. And I'm myself to